When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. It is a very special day for us because it isn't just me and Catherine Whitaker talking about tennis and pretending we know what we're talking about. Today, we get to speak to somebody who really knows what they're talking about, where this game is concerned. And that is because she has done it all in this sport that we love so much. 167 singles titles, 177 doubles titles, 18 Grand Slam singles crowns, 31 Slam doubles. 15 mixed doubles crowns, six and a half years at world number one. Martina Navratilova, where does it end? Welcome to the Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you. I usually do know what I'm talking about, but sometimes I also do just make it up as I go along. Well, it's it's an absolute pleasure for us to have you on our show. It is a show that celebrates tennis, that loves tennis. And Judging by the way you have responded to to working on BT Sport over the last couple of weeks and seeing the enthusiasm with which you still watch these tennis players in action, I think you love the sport as much as ever, don't you? <laughs> well, you know it. I mean, uh, it's it's a sport that gets under your skin, doesn't it? Uh, it's it's a fantastic, challenging uh, sport and uh, it's definitely a sport of a lifetime. And I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning as the sport has evolved so much since I first picked up a racket, which was my grandmother's racket from like 1910. Wooden, wooden handle, wooden racket, uh, nylon, uh, and uh, and now we're playing with these space age materials and uh, space age materials in the in the in the in the in the racket as well for for strings and nylon, etc. So it's uh, it's an evolving sport and it's fun to be a part of seeing that evolution. Can you remember the first day that you picked up a racket or and thought this is this is what I want to do? Well, I don't remember the first time I ever picked up a racket, but I do remember hitting against the wall in my hometown at the club. There was four courts, and then the, at the end of it, uh, now there is a fifth court, but it was just half a court, and it was there was a wall there. And I spent hours, and, and actually two years before I stepped on a real court, before I played with my dad, because he said, you have to be able to hit the ball with one hand before I play with you on the court. And I could only hold my grandmother's racket with two hands, so I just hit two-handed backhands against the wall for two years until I was my hand grew big enough to, to be able to hold the racket. 
And then when my sister comes along six years later, my dad cut that racket down for her so she could actually swing with it. But he didn't do that for me. So I had a 200 back end to start with. And uh, and then uh, when I stepped on that court and, and, and remember my first time with my dad uh, on, on court four, which is right next to the wall, uh, I, I knew this is this was my home. Well, it was a home for decades in which you made a, a career out of it and one of the best careers that we've ever seen in this sport. I just want to, if you go through it all, I, I mentioned some of those incredible statistics. Is that What stands out for you? What are you most proud of? I think consistency, body of work really, uh, but consistency in both singles and doubles and, and as well as year in, year out, you know, really staying at the top. Uh, or, or number two for so many years, not really, no fluctuations, uh, and uh, and and uh, a lot of wins as well. But for the most part, uh, being able to evolve and change, adapt, and keep winning. Is there a win specifically that stands out? Not really. I, I mean, uh, I think first time I, I beat Chris Evert, I lost to her, I don't know, five or six times, and then I finally beat her in Washington, uh, at the Virginia Stimson of Washington. My mom was there. And uh, and and I couldn't sleep. I was in the quarterfinals, but I ended up winning the tournament, and uh, that was a very memorable moment. Even though very few people were there to to see it, uh, and of course the first Wimbledon was perhaps the happiest I was on the court, but also at the same time sad because my family again wasn't there uh, because they were in the Czechoslovakia, not Czech Republic, and I didn't even know if they could see the match. So bittersweet. Uh, so there were some very happy moments, but also 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 sad. And um, anyway, it's hard to pick your favorite. You mentioned Chris Everts, and we see you a lot these days. Uh, I see you at the, the Grand Slams that, that I work at, and you seem to get on famously. Oh, yeah. Was that always the case? I mean, you, you know, the, the, the nature of a rivalry is that you doing well makes that other person upset. Well, I think it helps that there's a net in between, <laughs> so you don't really pummel each other like boxers do. But uh, but still, of course, uh, it's a very much a one-on-one situation, and and we had so many. We played each other eighty times, and there were some tough times uh, where we, you know, were not the best of friends. But we never lost respect for each other and uh, and empathy, and uh, and and even though we had those couple of ups and downs, uh, at the end uh, we became best friends, and uh, now you know, have a very, very special relationship. And I, I suppose, ultimately, there are, there's only the two of you that knows what that was like to contest all of those finals. Uh, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a, what, it's a, it's a uh, rivalry for the ages, isn't it? Uh, it's really one of a kind. I mean, you, you talk about other, other players and we've, you know, they, they play maybe half the times that, that, that we have played against each other. And uh, over decades, and I remember when when Chris was when I first came on the tour and Chris was playing against Ivan Gulagong and and they were saying oh this is the most amazing rivalry I'm like what about me because I had already beaten Chris a few times at that point but I was not mentioned in the same breath but now you know it's it's a rivalry that defines the sport and I'm pretty proud of it. I can imagine you are. Uh, given that we we get to watch all of these uh, present day players, and obviously Serena Williams is a, a player who's now spoken about in the same breath as yourself and Chrissy. And last year you all stood together on that Flushing Meadows Arthrash Stadium court, having been on the same number of Grand Slam titles. She's now moved ahead to number nineteen. How impressed are you with what she's managed to do with her career now? Well, amazing. I mean, uh, she really. Uh 
put it into another gear three years ago after that loss to Rosano at the French Open. She really um, focused herself on the sport, realized her time was running out, and she wants to make her mark. She better get going. And did she ever get going? Barely lost ma any matches since then. Has really dominated the sport the last three years. And uh, what what is impressive to me is that she's doing it at this age because I know that it just gets a little more difficult when you hit 30 emotionally and most of all physically. Uh, but uh, she hasn't played such a full schedule in, in her whole career. So I think she's a little bit fresher. I think I've played maybe like uh, five, 500 more matches at this stage of, of our career than, than Serena has. Uh, but uh, so I think that has enabled her to, to stay fresher physically and mentally, but still to be able to get in there day in and day out and, and dominate the sport is, is outstanding. Where do you think this will end up? for her because here she is on 19 Grand Slam titles she doesn't okay she's she pulled out of the tournament in Rome she, but she'll we expect go into the French Open hopefully fully fit she doesn't look as though she's aging particularly I mean Steffi Graf's got 22 Grand Slam titles Margaret Court had 24 where do we think Serena might end up here well I think uh, she might get I mean, she'll get to 20 for sure. How how much into the 20s that uh, that I think remains to be seen, depending on how the body uh, holds up and and the motivation. Maybe when she gets to 22, you know, then she wants to pass Margaret Court. It's a long way away. Uh, they get that definitely gets harder when you get in your 30s. But at the same time, the the new generation hasn't quite caught up to Serena, so she's got a nice window there where there's plenty of good good players, uh, but uh, nobody's been able to really bother her or, or put up a solid rivalry. So uh, it's possible that she will pass Margaret Court. Uh, if anybody can do it, of course, Serena's in in a, in a great position, but it still is a tall order. I, I imagine there must be a little bit of you that watches her and imagines what would I do against her what would I what would my game match up against her like absolutely I mean I've been asked that question many times do you think you can beat Serena and uh, so of course I think I can beat Serena uh, but she can also beat me uh, it would be fun to play her on all the surfaces and see how the different matchups happen uh, her best surface is grass that was mine too hardcore maybe not not that great but I think I would have the edge on, on clay, uh, but uh, I would just try to make her hit shots that she doesn't want to hit, you know, try to use the diagonal, trying to find places on the court that other players don't find because they don't have the, the soft hands, the slice, uh, try to try to make her uncomfortable, but uh, easier said than done. Or the biggest issue with Serena is getting into the point. Uh, she's got a great serve and a great return of serve. Uh, once we're in the point, I think I have a good shot at it, but uh, it would be tricky, but I think I would be okay. <laughs> Fitness permitting, is she still the favorite for the French Open? Even though Maria Sharapova is obviously the defending champion, we've seen Petra Kvitova in fantastic form in Madrid. Well, there are a few players that uh, are more natural on clay, and and uh, I'm sure that uh, they'll be they'll be feeling like this is my time. Uh, but you still have to think Serena Williams is the favorite until somebody beats her. Uh, she's the favorite. Uh, Maria Sharapova is the defending champion, but she hasn't beaten Serena since 2004. So that rivalry is not happening. Uh, so it seems Maria needs help from the field uh, to to win. Um, and then, but but you have Halep, uh, a clay, natural clay quarter. Of course, Petra Kvitova is playing great tennis, and there will be plenty others that uh, will say, you know, not not so fast. But Serena only has to play seven players. She doesn't play all of them. And uh, you still have to think that she's the favorite to win, absolutely. 
we've been watching what I certainly think is a really exciting generation of young players that are just starting to make their mark at the moment. We've seen uh, Karolina Pliskova and Gabin Mukarutha, uh, players like that, Belinda Bencic, a, a little younger, so many of them. And Brad Gilbert was a guest on our tennis podcast a, a few weeks ago. He said that he thinks... Madison Keys could be the world number one in about three years' time. She has that sort of ability. What is there somebody that stands out for you? I don't think it may take that long for Madison. If she stays healthy, she's got the game to match up against anybody. Huge serve, big forehand, and uh, she's working on her movement and shot selection and all that. When she dials it in, she is she's right up there with Kritova with the power and the way she can overpower people. And and she's she's young, she's learning. Uh, so it's just a matter of how much she will improve. You never know how much people will improve until they they hit that apex. Uh, but uh, potentially, potential is definitely there. So I see Madison Keys as as perhaps the most talented of the of the young bunch. Well, that's uh, a great endorsement for her abilities, and of course, she's now working with Lindsay Davenport. I suppose, in some ways, having a player guide her like that, who's not dissimilar, can can be helpful. Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's nice when you can work with a player that's similar the way you play, uh, but doesn't mean that, that a baseliner can't coach a certain volley or vice versa. But uh, the mentality, I think the mental approach uh, and uh, personality obviously is a good match. And I think Lindsay has done a great job with Madison already. And uh, it looks like a match made in heaven. Now, on the men's side, it is fascinating at the moment, particularly coming into the French Open, isn't it? Because nobody seems to quite know who to call the favourite. You've got one guy who's won the tournament nine times out of the last 10 years and has only ever lost one match in in the French Open. And yet there's another fella who keeps on beating him and who, who looks almost unbeatable at the moment. Well, absolutely. Novak Djokovic, th- this is his uh, slam that she, he's never won. And uh, he promised his uh, coach, Elena, she passed away a couple of years ago and he promised her that he would win the French. And I, so I know that that is on his mind more than anything. And so he's playing on a lot of emotion there and uh, has played amazing tennis this year so far. And, and Rafa Nadal has never been uh, more doubtful leading up into the French by his own admission. Uh, he get, he's getting nervous. He's not able to handle the nerves. He says in the past if it would happen for one or two points now. It's lingering. He can't shake it. And uh, and you saw the result in Barcelona. Yes, of course. It, I mean, in Madrid, it's, it's a high altitude and all this. But still, to lose uh, in straight sets, he's had uh, the doubts seep in and they're really hard to dispel. But until... Somebody beats uh, Nadal. Uh, he still, for me, is the favourite. And Andy Murray has looked pretty useful the last couple of weeks as well. A couple of titles. He's decided to pull out of his match today in Rome. Uh, certainly, we, we, when we record this tennis podcast, he was pulling out of that match because he said he felt flat, fatigued. And I suppose an element of coming into a slam is making sure you've got enough left in the tank. Well, I was actually surprised that Andy even came to Rome. After winning two tournaments in a row, you're perfect. You know, you, you, What do you need? You don't need match play. You don't need confidence. You need to make sure that everything is 100% for, you, for the slam. There's two weeks in between. So I was surprised that he came. I, I think it was a good idea that he did didn't, didn't try to keep competing here and save yourself. And, and I mean, he's had the perfect, perfect preparation for the French Open. So he has got to be in the in the mix uh, as far as people that can win the tournament. Now, Andy Murray, uh, just under a year ago, 
started working with Amelie Moresmo. That seemed, that felt at the time, like, like a big deal. Like a big deal for the fact that a woman was, was being employed by a top male player to, to coach him. Is, is that how it felt to you? Well, it just shows how far we still have to go with uh, sexism in in sports. Because uh, uh, for me, I was thinking Maresmo as far as uh, what she brings to the table tennis-wise, you know, how she thinks about the game. I don't really know her philosophy. I certainly have seen her play. So we know what she brings to the table that way. Uh, but uh, but everybody else thought gender first. And I never thought gender. <laughs> so uh, it just goes to show again how, how much further we have to go. But it was nice that, uh, that Andy... For him gender didn't matter it was the the personal mix and uh and now i think he opened the door to to other women coaches coaching men not just in tennis as well because quite frankly gender is irrelevant when it comes to tennis either you know the sport or you don't certainly we would totally agree with you here on the tennis podcast just a couple of questions from our listeners just to finish off we have Roe who says of the upcoming players aside from keys is there anybody you really like Muguruza Bencic Pliskova I think Pliskova has also a very good future in front of her she's uh She's got all the goods. She's tall, big serve, very sound technically, likes to come to the net. She's a really, really complete player. Just a matter of harnessing her power and, and, and knowing the shot selection and, and, and keeping your mind and, and not losing the focus during matches. But that all comes with, with experience and maturity. So uh, I think with good guidance, uh, she is, she's got a bright, bright future ahead of her as well. Two final questions from our listeners. At RND31 says, touring the world all this time must have been amazing. But I imagine you missed out on certain things as well. Are there things that you missed out on when you were playing that you couldn't do then that you've tried to make up since? Well, it's actually travel and see places rather than just be there because as a tennis player, you end up having room service more often than not and at best get out to a restaurant but certainly sightseeing, uh, you know, I, I used to do that when, I've, when I would lose first or second round. Then once you start winning, you have no time for that. So actually seeing the places and then going to places where there was no tennis. So like I've, I've spent a long time, a lot of time in Kenya. I've gone to Thailand for vacation, uh, gone to Indonesia for vacation. So seeing places that I never had a chance. And there's sort of plenty of places on my bucket list that I haven't gone to. Fantastic. And- one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. And finally, uh, uh, Paula Ansreed says, if you could change one rule in tennis today, what would it be? The net cord, the time between the points, the knock-up challenges? That, what, what rule would you like to change? One rule? I think uh, no tie-break in the final set in the Grand Slams. Uh, let court, that's a that's that's a that's that's a given. I mean that that rule should have been changed a long time ago, in my opinion. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just for starters. There would be a bunch of them, but uh, that would be uh, that would be. So you would start. add the tiebreak in the final set of slams, all of them. Exactly. I mean, you, you need to know a finish line, and the the matches are so physical, particularly the guys going three out of five sets. Uh, that's another thing. I've, I've, I've been throwing that, that out there as well, that maybe the men should be playing two out of three. Certainly no drama was lost in the Olympics when they were playing two out of three. In fact, the drama is heightened because it's such a short, shorter format. Every point counts a lot more. Uh, and the way the players play today uh, with the rackets and, and the, the courts are slow, the rackets are fast, uh, everybody hits the ball so much harder, it really takes its toll. And uh, you, you have so much less time between shots during the rally, so you have to be really quick. That takes its toll. And these guys out there for four or five hours and, and no, no end in sight. It's like running a marathon. And, oh, by the way, you're going to run another 10 miles. <laughs> or you don't even know where the finish line is, so you just have to keep going. So uh, there needs to be a finish line, in my opinion. That's a fascinating debate. It's one we've had a lot on this show over the past because I've always been of the opinion you can't rid Grand Slams of best of five sets because think of the moments you would have lost the the greatest match arguably of all time between Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer in 2008 in the final, 21-19, Roddick Elanawi, matches like that. However, I've actually come around to the idea of the final set tiebreak as well in recent months. Well, and you might have that 21-19, but in the third set, in the, the final set. So maybe one step would be to just play two out of three and play out the final set in, in, the, in the Grand Slams. But if you do stay with the three out of five, you've got to put in a tiebreak. I think we've reached some common ground there, Martina. All right. Good to know. <laughs> Great to have you with us on the Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was Martina Navratilova, the great champion, and she was with us on the Tennis Podcast. And now I'm with somebody else, equally illustrious, who has hot-footed it straight back from Rome to be with us on the Tennis Podcast. Catherine Whitaker, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, if a little travel-weary. I have quite literally travelled back from Rome just to be here. Well, and also to sleep in my bed, my own bed, for a mere two or three nights. But also to, to join you for the tennis podcast. So uh, appreciate me while I'm here. 
I, I am appreciating you. And I notice you're feeling pretty good about yourself because you haven't put me right about comparing you favorably or alongside in the same breath with Martina Navratilova, who has won, as we heard earlier, 18 Grand Slam titles and spent six and a half years at world number one. I don't think you've done that, have you? No, I'm not going to put you right. I'm going to take that one and put it in the bank because I'm <laughs> never going to get a compliment like that ever again. So uh, as wildly off the mark as it was, I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. So you should. Now, not only have uh, we had Rome since we last spoke, we've also had Madrid. And of course, we had yourself alongside Alex Ramsey in Madrid, chatting things through from there. But before we just get on to what Martina was talking about, what were your impressions of Rome and Madrid? Two, you couldn't get two more different tournaments. Probably on the TV, they look quite similar. You know, it's all, it's all red clay, isn't it? But Madrid is super organized. It's in this new custom-built venue, which is totally functional. And they do have great fans there, but just by virtue of being this new custom-built venue. It's not a club. It doesn't quite have that same atmosphere and that you get with a historic club. You know, it's like the Medeski Stadium in Reading. It's not, you know, it's not Elm Park. No, it's not like the Medeski Stadium. Let's be realistic right now. <laughs> I mean, I love the Medeski Stadium, but you can't build history and atmosphere, can you? As much It will build it over time, but you, you can't build that as as enthusiastic as the fans are there and when Rafa is playing there is fantastic atmosphere but it's not the same as Rome where behind the scenes frankly it is slightly more disarray than in Madrid working there is more challenging shall we say but in terms of when you step onto the court not literally onto the court I didn't I didn't play any matches there you didn't you didn't miss my are you sure given you're comparing yourself to Martin and Avratilova and not batting an eyelid I, I didn't do that you did um no once you're sat on the the center court there you're just immersed into it it is an absolutely incredible center court and if anything the set the second court is is even better the Petrangeli court surrounded by the Roman statues dug down into the ground encased by by trees is it's an incredible sight in terms of a fan experience I imagine you can't get anything much better so from behind the scenes quite challenging (laughs) but uh front of house magical now wasn't it absolutely fascinating to hear from Martina Navratilova now I had the pleasure of commentating alongside her for the two weeks for BT Sport and Frankly, I just didn't want the matches to end. It wasn't, and the tennis was good, but just having the opportunity to listen to how she thinks about tennis and what she has to say about it was was just a treat, frankly. And I, I hope the TV viewers who were watching felt the same. And I hope everybody listening to this tennis podcast who's just listened to 20 minutes of Martina generously giving her time will feel the same as, as I do. For me, she's a little like Mats Philander. When they talk... I'm just all ears. I want to know how they think about the game, how they feel about the game. But what was absolutely fascinating in that interview was there she was saying that until Rafael Nadal loses at the French Open, bearing in mind he's lost once in a decade, until that happens, he is the French Open favourite. Now, we teased that line on Twitter a couple of nights ago and said, Martina Navratilova is coming up and she has said this. Now, She replied to that tweet. This took place just after the Rome final. And she said, actually, now that I've seen that Rome final and the form that Novak Djokovic is in, I'm not sure anybody is going to beat him. That was fascinating, wasn't it? 
undeniably fascinating. Very interestingly, uh, during, I think it was after Roger Federer's quarter-final victory, or certainly quarter-final or semi-final, he was asked the same question, do you think Rafael Nadal is the favourite for the French Open? And he said, unquestionably, yes. You're an absolute fool to think that somebody that's won this thing nine times is not the favourite. I don't care what's happened this year. Form comes and goes, nine titles. It's for keeps. Um, and then after the final last night with Djokovic, in which Federer was quite roundly trounced, I think, in that final, I think it was actually less competitive than the scoreline suggested. Um, he was asked the same question in press. I think everyone expecting him maybe to do what Martina did and uh, change his thinking. And whether this is just stubbornness on Roger Federer's part, I don't know, but he instantly said no those nine titles are still there he is still the favorite he said he said it's not just between very keen to point out it's not just between Djokovic and Nadal either he said I think there's a crop of other names that people should be talking about more and then he very modestly said at the end I hope I'm one of those the greatest of all time well general consensus is that he's the greatest of all time saying I hope I'm one of those that might be considered in the mix it was amazing really and uh, I think I think he, he is still in the mix. I don't think he's going to win it. But let's be honest, the other two could fall over. They could get an injury. They could run into, I don't know, Ivo Karlovic or John Isner having a, a lights-out service serving day and win in straight set tie breaks or something like that. You, you'd be a fool to completely write out Roger Federer, wouldn't you? Yeah, I don't completely write out Roger Federer. I think so much comes down to the draw now for me. I just cannot wait for that draw to come out. So much is riding on that. I think, as Alex was saying in last week's podcast, Novak Djokovic, the the one weakness... I mean, we're, we're grasping at straws here to find a weakness in, uh, in Novak Djokovic, but the one weakness could be how much he wants it. He spoke about that again last night at length after his win in Rome, just how much... He wants this. And Federer spoke about it as well. He said, he actually said the line, Novak needs to win this one. He said he won't get a better chance than this. He needs to win this French Open. So that could possibly be his downfall. And I think if it is to be his downfall, it would perhaps be his downfall in one of the earlier rounds. I think possibly if he gets to that final, then he'll be bedded in. He will be on course to win. But I, 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 without seeing the draw, I can't predict even when I do see the draw I will inevitably inaccurately predict what might happen (laughs) that is absolutely going to be the case because Catherine's predictions have not gone particularly well so far although you did have a brief comeback didn't you this week I had a brief spell of success what were the specific ones I got right they've they've all blurred into insignificance now because I so spectacularly got the final prediction last night wrong I did predict a Federer win but let me just caveat that by saying Federer had played the better tennis last last week he really let me down yesterday I was I was dismayed in Roger Federer. Once he got broken at four... Well, he got broken serving 4-5 down to lose the set. I mean, that was game over. His head dropped. There was never a moment after that when you thought Federer might get back into this. I don't know what happened to him because Djokovic played really well. Djokovic did not play his best last night. What I would... What I would say to what Martina said was I don't necessarily disagree with her that Djokovic is now the favourite, but it wasn't specifically... If I have changed my mind, it's not that match last night that changed my mind because I think Federer didn't do his bit in that match. 
Pedro let you down. That's all that matters. He let me down personally. Did he not see how desperately I needed those points in this, <laughs> in this predictions game? Did he not see that before he stepped on the court? Damn you, Roger. Instead, he? This is Roger Federer you're talking about here. You can't speak about royalty like that. Now, um, I, we should also add that uh, there is the possibility, of course, that Novak Djokovic could once again meet Rafael Nadal in the final. We don't know what the draw is going to throw up and all that sort of thing. But if it did happen, you've just said that basically if Djokovic gets to the final, that's when he's going to be at his most unbeatable. But are you telling me that if Rafael Nadal is in the final of the French Open, he's not going to win? No, I'm not telling you that. But that's why I'm saying it's all about the draw because there's every chance they'll meet before the final. I think just as much as if Djokovic gets as far as the final, he'll be the favourite. I think if Nadal gets as far as the final and he's played six five-set matches on that court that he owns, how could he not be the favourite in a French Open final? I, I think even more so than Djokovic, Nadal is susceptible before the final. I think if he gets to the final, he will be the favourite, even if it's Djokovic. Those are my feelings, but I think Rafa is more liable to lose earlier. The the most worrying thing I'm seeing in Rafa um, following on from Madrid and Rome is not that I'm a technical expert at tennis by any means. And the, are you sure? And the, the 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 video the video of our Albert Hall match is yet to be released to YouTube to prove that. But I am by no means a te- technical expert, but. I, there are technical issues in his game. It's not just confidence. That the, the backhand, his backhand in that final against Andy Murray was awful. He just couldn't... He's, he's, he had said in one of his press conferences, he keeps getting asked about confidence, you know, where are you going to find this confidence from? And he said in one of his press conferences, yada, 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 I haven't forgotten how to play tennis. And that was quite... Of course he hasn't. That's a very obvious thing to say, but it was quite arresting hearing him say that. Basically, he was putting it all down to confidence and the mental side of things whereas what I've seen certainly since since that final against Murray and a couple of matches or one one match in uh, in Rome last week were technical issues which is what worries me more I think well fascinating now just a side note if ever they do find a way to put up the match that Catherine and I played on YouTube it would break YouTube. Uh, now, Carolina Pliskova and Madison Keys are players that Martina Navratilova was telling us to watch out for. We've heard that before from other players as well, but my word, it's, it's got some resonance when it comes out from the mouth of uh, Martina Navratilova. But very interesting as well to then see, since I spoke to Martina, Maria Sharapova go on to win the title and to prove me right about that little blip she had that I said was a blip. And uh, she's looking pretty good. It's, it's really bubbling up nicely going into the French Open, isn't it? Because Serena Williams is the all-conquering greatest player possibly of all time. But Maria Sharapova is arguably better on clay. Not if they play one another, she's not. She will still lose to Serena on clay if they play. I mean, are you going to predict that she won't lose to Serena? She'll beat her for the first time in 11 years. No, nobody's predicting that. Um, so, uh, Do I get to answer that? Or? Go on then, go on then. Do I think that Maria Sharapova is better at, than Serena Williams on clay? Well, would she beat Serena Williams on clay? Hmm. No. <laughs> well, there you go. I think it's absolutely crucial for Maria that she is ranked number two. Um, maybe, maybe she would. 
You think maybe she would? Well, I, I really disagree with you. I, I mean, I, I see so... Li- I mean, maybe with Serena's niggling, niggling elbow injury, I mean, who knows how great a thwart that will be to her. Is body. it a foregone conclusion? Oh, Christ. The look in your eye right now, David, is scathing. <laughs> Two years ago, that was. Two years. I've made plenty of terrible predictions since then. Um... I think that being ranked number two will be a great help to Sharapova. I think she's just got to hope Serena loses earlier because she's not going to beat Serena. If I, I think as soon as Serena goes out, Sharapova, instant favourite for the title. But while Serena's in, she's not going to win that title. End of story. If you not across the foregone conclusion line, as Catherine said two years ago, she said it was a foregone conclusion that Serena Williams would win Wimbledon. And I said... Sabina Lizicki's looking pretty good to me, didn't I, Catherine? She still didn't. She still didn't win it, though. <laughs> neither of neither of us was saying how good Marion Bartoli was looking. So let's not cover ourselves in too much glory, shall we? Okay then. All right. Well, Catherine Whitaker needs to get to bed, frankly, because she's looking a bit tired after two and a half weeks. She's now really angry that I've said that. But after two and a half weeks of working on average about twenty hours a day. Oh, if not more, if not more, I'm, uh, I'm. It, the, thank goodness this is not a visual medium right now. Let's just say that I'm looking a bit ropey. This is a, this is a face for radio just now. Okay, well there you have it, folks. But that's what she is. You see, she's she's dedicated to the tennis podcast and to giving you what you want or at least where you're getting it, whether you like it or not. But thank you very much for joining us here on the Tennis Podcast. I'm David Law, joined by Catherine Whitaker. Subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a review, follow us on Twitter, get involved with the predictions, and we'll speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 